You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing positive impact on their city and the world. And I still don't know how to understand all of that, but what I feel when you come into a yoga class or when you're really connecting with someone and there's a a beautiful intention and there's real attention uh, focused on that, which is uh, less of a thought and more of a feeling that you're connected with, I believe that that can really impact people um, in the real world. So let's hope that on Are You OK Day, not only is it think about asking the questions, but actually connecting to the intention of the question and connecting compassionately to, to the person who's sharing stuff with you, you know. Walking into the yoga studio that was the setting for this week's podcast, I knew I had a decision to make. It had been a tough week and I was feeling emotional. I was really looking forward to the podcast, but how best to go about it when feeling like this? Do I pretend everything is okay? Or do I share what is going on with my guest? Perhaps because we recorded this on Are You OK Day, perhaps because my guest is a psychologist whose work is focused on mindfulness, well-being and resilience, and perhaps because I knew it would not be a great interview if I was hiding something the whole time. I decided to open up and share how I was feeling and releasing some emotion through tears. I'm grateful to Adrian, whom I had just met, that he allowed me to be vulnerable and share with what he himself brought to this important conversation of how to be at our best in terms of well-being and performance in a world where stress, challenges and mental health issues are not going away. I'm Adam Murray, and thanks for joining me as I talk with Adrian Medhurst on the subtle disruption between stimulus and response. One of the most important things that I was talking about on Tuesday is um, resilience fitness as a concept. And um, the reason why I was calling it fitness is because people have the idea that resilience is about bouncing back to setbacks. And you're like, cool, that's part of the definition, absolutely important. But it's not just about knowing the different things that you do to recover when the shit hits the fan. Um, Absolutely, that's part of it. But it's like, what are the things that we can invest in continuously that give us buffers that enable our resilience to be there consistently? Do you know what I mean? Like, what is it that actually helps us to sustain um, a real focus on being at our best? Performance as well as well-being over time rather than it just being a responsive strategy you're like go 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 working as hard as i can to the point of burnout and then when i tip over then at least i know something that will help me get back i I feel like that's too narrow-sighted a view of what we should be doing and so i went out there with this idea of resilience fitness and saying we need to train certain things in order to have these buffers and have these i guess sort of capacities um filled up as much of the time as possible and when some get depleted, we want to fill them back up again. And so a lot of my um, conversation was about the intersection of performance and well-being yeah. and the fact that we will have different performance resilience buffers and different well-being resilience buffers. And the two are going to interact and be dynamic. And we need to know at any point in time, what do we need to flex up and flex down? And so when I was sharing this um, uh, conversation as a presentation with this group of about 60 people, the amount of contribution that was coming through that this stress challenge um, and stress being a very overused word for a whole bunch of things that go on for us is, uh, and I wrote a little blog about it, omnipresent. This is everywhere. This is a human thing, you know. And for it to be so topical, not only around Are You OK Day, but for everyone living in this busy world that we're in now, yeah. um, it's not new either. We go, yes, this is an absolutely current challenge, but even to start off with the first principle or you know, precept in Buddhism, which is life has suffering. It's the same idea. You know? We need to accept that and actually have a conversation around that and know that there are pathways and practices that build this performance and well-being resilience and that we shouldn't just expect that we flog ourselves as hard as we can until we have a catastrophe mm. and then we just wait until things are better again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I need to eat my own messages just as much as the next guy because this is a human thing. Um, spent the last four months writing my book um, didn't want to be writing my book 
before work and after work, so wrote it during work times. My book writing didn't pay me money, so then there's the financial stress and pressure associated with being you know, a dad, sole breadwinner, a young baby, providing for the family, all of these uh, gender um, expectations um, but that are kind of reality have been coming really present to me but I'm going right okay here it, here it is I'm trying to make a contribution by writing a book about an important practice that supports well-being and, and performance in you know, meditation practice and the science of it and in so doing I'm having compromised <laughs> well-being and performance you know yeah. so ironic yeah. um, but this is for me a, a time where it's like yep depleted <laughs> you know finished off the draft of the book had uh, loaded up my calendar with lots of appointments and meetings because I'd been telling everyone sorry I'm in my cave writing yeah. don't talk to me so then I come out the other side knackered <laughs> and then I'm like go 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 with all this new stuff got sick the wife got sick the baby got sick it was like a relay around our house <laughs> and here I am this week going I'm here now <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah so anyway that, that's my uh, my download. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you mind if we just keep continuing talking about this? Yeah. Do you mind if we leave that on the podcast, that part oh, as well? That, that, that's fine, like, if Is that, that ends okay? up being useful. Because yeah. <laughs> like, the stuff you're talking about there, I think it's the stuff I want to talk about okay. with you as well. Yeah. Just, um, I mean, do you want to start by talking about Are You OK Day and what that actually is? Yeah. yeah. I think it's just so important that um, we have mindful conversations about whether or not we are okay and to actually engage with others around whether or not they're okay. Yeah. The, um, the stats are really alarming when it comes to suicide and uh, they don't get publicised really because for people with compromised um, mental health that are thinking about suicide, seeing that people are doing it almost becomes a little advertisement that it is a way out. And um, so it's a really complicated issue, but putting it in the too hard basket is not working. Yeah. And as a result, we need to know how to have conversations about whether or not people are okay. What I hope and what you know, we hope with Are You Okay Day is that it um, creates an opportunity to actually be aware, like look around you, whether you pick up on um, body language or whether you just simply have as a default to really give a shit about asking whether someone's okay. Yeah. Um, we need to have more days like it, but as a start, I think it's a really important, really important thing. I mean, that's part of the reason why um, Amelie, the artificial intelligent chatbot, is um, coming into the market as well. You know, you've got Google that you might choose to go to to type in certain things that are an issue for you, and you can't necessarily trust the scientific reliability and validity of what it is that you get as a hit. Yeah. You call Lifeline, for instance, and uh, you have call wait times anywhere up to 40 minutes. Wow. Call drop-offs, yeah. 200,000 a year, don't yeah. even get handled. And it's like, surely there's something in the middle. Yeah. You know, can you engage in a conversation about whether or not you're okay with something that isn't even human, but that gives a shit about listening to your keywords <laughs> and providing you with some sort of opportunity to explore it further, conversationally, finding resources, escalating risk to service providers. So, um, yep, are you okay today? There is no substitute, I think, yet for an actual conversation with a person who cares. Yep. Social support when it comes to resilience is the most important buffer uh, for our well-being and mental health. Yeah. Um, and we need, to, we need to work through that. We need to realise that we're so busy and we're looking at our phones all the time. We're walking down the street, not necessarily even looking at the people that are around us. And what happened to that sense of community that actually stopped and looked up and cared, you know? Mm. Um, so there's absolutely the real world place for that. And I think with digital technology, there need to be more places for having these conversations because the trends around mental health issues becoming the more significant burdens of disease in the global population are not going in a direction that is preferred. 
Yeah. So I rambled on a bit, but yeah, I'm very passionate about this whole area. <laughs> yeah. So are you okay? Day is actually today. It is we're today. sitting here having yeah. this conversation, which is a coincidence. Well, it's coincidental. We didn't actually plan it that way, but and it, which is Thursday, the what is the date today? It is the eighth of September, September, the day before my wife's birthday. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what is your association with Are You Okay Day? Are you? Uh, I'm just a spruker of the important spruker, message. Yeah. I'm not associated with them formally, but um, what I think is great that they're doing is that they do send out to people who are interested in um, sending their messages on, um, I guess help, helping to equip them with, with what the key messages are yeah. in this area. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they've got online resources for that, but I'm not formally associated with them. But every year when RUAK Day comes around, uh, it tends to be the case that there are some presentations that I get invited to, to speak on just because of the nature of my work being around well-being and mental health. Yeah. Um, and I'm always happy to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting about that question. Like, why do you... Th I mean, obviously, it's very easy for us all to get distracted on our phones. And but do you think there's a reason why we don't ask it? more like is it is it the fear of what the answer might be yeah yeah, yeah. well that's certainly part of it and I think it's a very complex issue but um, do we feel confident to handle um, responses to that question for many people the answer would be no um, have we got to a point where having those sorts of conversations um, doesn't feel appropriate uh, so regardless of whether we feel equipped to handle it the social etiquette side of things. Um, is Australia one that has a culture of stiff upper lip, have a teaspoon of cement, get on with it? Um, you know, is that exacerbated by the fact that people feel a sense of um, self-worth when they know that they're busy? So that's the catch cry of the modern workforce, for instance. Oh, yeah, I'm so busy. Yeah. Um, so what does this mean? You know, um, the, the flow and effects of these sorts of... Um, I guess, habits that we have that might make it less likely that someone cares to ask or less likely that we want to engage on that particular topic. I, I wonder whether the quality of our social networks, like the real ones rather than the digital ones, yeah. whether they are eroding as a result of us working long hours, being incredibly busy, having so much screen time and less actual contact with other people. Um, I wonder whether that's part of the challenge too. Um, and it, and it, the, the short answer is, pr yeah, probably all of that, you know, which is probably why it makes it such a complex thing to, to understand. Yeah. 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 Um, what, yeah, do you want to, well, actually, the first question I normally ask, we kind of, started talking and you know, got going. But the first question I normally ask is, you know, where have you chosen? We'll describe where we are today and ah. why you chose this place as well. So we're at Rise Yoga on Bridge Road in Richmond, um, my local yoga studio. And um, although the fridge has just kicked into gear next to us, <laughs> this is a place that I come where um, I can really provide myself with an opportunity to just be. Um, and for me personally, uh, that's a, a place, a safe haven, but also a place where I can be in my own body. So the environment, the physical environment is supportive, but it's also the, you know, being in a yoga studio and being able to engage in a mindfulness practice or a yoga practice um, allows you to cultivate your own environment, to, to look after yourself, to in some ways um, know that at least for a moment you can separate yourself, um, not to avoid or to withdraw or to get away from the real world, so to speak, but just to say, I can hit the pause button, it will be there, and I can actually just use this as an opportunity to tune in. Yeah. Um, and I think that this sort of um, physical environment that creates that opportunity is so important these days and um, when we can have a routine or a ritual around this sort of practice that we give to ourselves um, the hopes are that it's a training ground for 
practicing certain qualities, certain intentions and attitudes towards ourselves and others that, um, and I say training ground because we practice this on the mat and hopefully that gives us the skills and capacity to be like that more off the mat, you know? Yeah. And that real, okay, who I am being in this environment really starts to feed into how I can be in the rest of my life for myself and for other people's benefit. <laughs> yeah. This, just going back to what you're saying about the place, like it is a beautiful space here with a, a magnificent arched window with the sunlight streaming in. And it, it's really well designed by Rosie, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah Rosie. Rosie yeah, 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 and just the, the fit out has a really um, calm feel about it with the exposed brick and the wood. Yeah, it's just a, it is a beautiful space. And just, just on that as well, like, so space is one thing. And then I just think, um, without wanting to sound like I'm a incense burning hippie or anything, um, but the energy that you can create in a space, um, either through intention. So Rosie's intention is absolutely to set up a community feel. So doing certain things within this um, environment, but for the community to create community. And then when you actually um, come in and you might have had a busy day and your brain is fried and that's much like the way I arrived today, but you walk in and whether you're here with few people or many, it's just a, it's almost like an invitation to enter into a different state. Yeah. And you can either just do that by going, I've arrived, or um, when you get on the mat and you've got that um, practice facilitated and you get involved and other people, you know, like-minded practitioners are nearby, you really start to feel that, not only energy, but the support in that, uh, which I think is a very beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. I was reading some research, so um, I love looking at ancient practices as well as the modern science and even looking at um, the ways digital starts to play into this area of mindfulness and, and physical practice. And um, there's this technology called HeartMath, which actually uh, looks at heart rate variability and, and monitoring that through a wearable device, so an earlobe uh, sensor, yeah. and uh, provides you with biofeedback. And um, when I was reading up on the research, it's quite interesting to notice that the, we, we tend to uh, live through our brain a lot and um, a lot of electrical activity goes on in the brain. And um, the research actually shows that a hell of a lot of electrical and magnetic energy co goes through our heart. And um, it's also true that we have neurons, so brain cells in different parts of our body, not just our brain. So in our heart and also in our stomach. So yeah. it's like you're trusting your gut, you can actually kind of think from your gut. When, yeah. you, when you're tuning into what your heart's saying, you can actually kind of think from your heart, you know? Uh, and all of these systems speak to each other. And um, so the research was saying that whilst we might be all up in our head and there's a lot of electrical activity going on with our thoughts, if we actually start to tune into and connect with the idea of what our heart is feeling, then that can be a beautiful and important practice. When we can synchronize our breath, which is you know, nicely located right near our heart, it, it can actually give us an opportunity to allow our attention to start to drop from being all up in our head, which is where we spend most of our time, to actually just being with our breath and connecting to our heart. And the research shows that not only do we start to get more harmony between our heart rate, our breath rate, and our brain's activity, and, and we can you know, directly trigger a nervous system response that helps us to be more calm and clear and feeling connected and compassionate, um, but the energy that gets uh, cultivated has a resonance that, is, that actually expands beyond your body. So, yeah. Um, the electrical charge, the magnetic um, activity can actually start to influence the world outside of our body, is the, is the science. Um, and I still don't know how to understand all of that, but what I feel when you come into a yoga class or when you're really connecting with someone and there's a, a beautiful intention and there's real attention uh, focused on that which is uh, less of a thought and more of a feeling that you're connected with, I believe that that can really impact people 
um, in the real world. So let's hope that on Are You OK Day, not only is it think about asking the questions, but actually connecting to the intention of the question and connecting compassionately to, to the person who's sharing stuff with you, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's a fascinating thought about, I've heard that once before about how the energy from our heart radiates. And I guess some people have been saying that for a long time and it's been dismissed as being um, woo-woo kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's really fascinating that science is backing it up as well. Well, that's what I love. I love that with our modern scientific instruments, we're now starting to realise that some of these theories, philosophies, ideologies with their practices that there's actually now recordable evidence for their existence uh, yeah. you know it, the, the science is catching up so to speak yeah <laughs> and you sort of got to wonder scientific methods and measurement instruments versus knowing through being you know um, totally. yeah yeah I so mean do we trust our gut and our heart or do we have to think it all through with Facts yeah. first. <laughs> it's really changed for me lately, actually, over the past, since getting into meditation. And um, um, meditation for me has connected my body and my brain a lot more. And it's, um, and I found myself being much more willing to make decisions with my body than with just my head. And I, it's funny, like I can, I decide, for, you know, for, for a, a strange example, if three colours or four colours were laid out before me, I can't really make a decision with my head which colour I like best, but I can feel which colour I like best in my body. And that's kind of the colour I like best. And I, I don't really have a rationale or a justification yeah, yeah. for it, but that's just the one I like best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And isn't it interesting that sometimes when we acknowledge that, we want to put it through a filter to intellectualize it. We want to figure out why that is. Yeah. And sometimes that's helpful and sometimes it's just not. Like, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. that's where I spend a lot of my time going, wow, I've had interesting experiences that have either been in my mind or in my body and you know, probably a reason why I'm a psychologist, I then go, I want to figure that out. And the, you know, the discipline that helps me to do that is science and more specifically psychology and whilst I love being a scientist and I love psychology and I find it fascinating I've also come to realize that there are other ways for me to learn about this stuff uh, and when the two come together fantastic uh, when there are things that I'm not yet able to answer with uh, the scientific mindset um, I'm quite happy to trust my experience you know what I mean yeah um, and I think that that's something that's um, not not showcased enough um, or actually no it's showcased a lot but I, I feel like everyone wants the proof um, and in some circles we're not even going to listen to you until you can show us and for some people making certain decisions where there might be associated risk or significant investment in terms of cash that might be the, the best way that they know how to make decisions but for others, I would love for us to actually entertain a little bit more of, does that feel right for you? Mm. Can you perhaps trust first, mm. try, and then yeah. change your mind if you have to? You yeah. know? <laughs> like, we have that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's a great point. Like we can try things on for size and there's no harm in trying things on for size. Yeah. We don't have to work it all out beforehand. Yeah. You know, make the purchase before trying it on. Yeah. You know, contest it. We, um, everything's got to be right. We've got to be perfect. We've got to um, be productive. And I think that's gotten in the way of us playing, being curious, um, trusting first, giving something a go. I mean, sort of talk about Australia having a culture of give it a go. Um, not seeing that as much as I used to. Yeah. Uh, or, or maybe it's uh, represented less in certain circles. I feel like there's so much fear associated with um, most people in work. Um, fear, pressure, stress, get more done in less time. And less playfulness, less curiosity, less of a acceptance and, and really allowing people to contemplate 
be curious. Yeah. And it's a real missed opportunity because that, not only that state when you can actually just pause and be and to, to think differently, not, not only can that help to solve problems and, and come up with creative solutions, um, but what that gives people, you know, we talk about autonomy being incredibly important for motivation at work. It's like, well, can we really trust that people have it within them to, to be with certain challenges and, and opportunities and to do the right thing for them by tuning into what feels most right? Yeah. Um, and actually encouraging that process, not just if you clocked on, how much throughput? You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, even the, the yeah, I, I totally, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And the way I'm, as I was saying, the way I make decisions now, even at work, is totally different as mm. well. But I think about the jobs that I was doing prior to this um, in very, you know, in corporate settings. And it might be changing now because I haven't been there for a couple of years. But just even that, even the thought of bringing, you know, making decisions based on gut or bringing my whole self or my whole being to uh, to work and you know all that I am all my family stuff my social stuff my health stuff you know bringing my whole self which I think has the possibility of enriching everything that I can give work as well I think that's that's I think that would have been too dangerous an idea for the places that I worked in previously you know it was supposed to be yeah throughput and rationale head-based decisions yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, protecting yourself, not revealing too much. Yeah. Um, and that, in certain cultures, that's a, a real challenge. So, um, for instance, stiff upper lip, do the work. Um, the legal industry has got some of the most compromised mental health um, of any working population in Australia but also globally there's a, there's a real challenge there we know that the cultures and subcultures in law firms are, are really problematic um, a lot of impression management um, whereas these mm. people are suffering a lot on are you okay day you know here's a population where um, suicide is unfortunately a really significant issue um, and the wear and tear associated with not being able to be you, authentically you, in a place where you spend many of your waking hours, the energetic cost mm. of that, the wear and tear by having to manage your impression, to leave stuff at the door, which we can't do without shutting it off, uh, not entertaining it, trying to control it. Yeah. How are we supposed to realize our full potential to be you know, performing at our optimal, to be feeling and being well at our optimal levels if we can't be our whole self. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we use things like Are You OK Day, but all sorts of other questions that actually show that we give a shit about the actual whole person that is in our environment, <laughs> working with us, um, working for us, whatever that is, like we're all, we're all people, you know, when does this actually become a human rights issue? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are, at the start, you were talking about resilience and resilience fitness and well-being fitness, I think you mentioned as well. Like, what are some of the things that people can do to build up that fitness so mm. that it's, yeah, it is embedded in their life and it's not just used as a recovery mechanism after the big crash, like you were saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, what I love to encourage people to do first when I'm speaking on this topic is to have them actually look at some of the things that they do that help them to be well already and um, to look at the things that they do currently that help them to perform well and to work through challenges, solve problems, uh, overcome setbacks. I think it's so important that we start by having people realise that they are likely to have a really cool track record of some things that just work well for them. And often we can get into a point in time where we're speaking to someone who seems to know stuff on the topic and we might discount our existing knowing <laughs> um, that we have been able to channel in the past. Yeah. Um, and we might miss existing resources and strengths. Mm. Um, Good point. 
when we get really busy, we can often uh, forget to consciously call on and apply things that have worked for us in the past. And that's where the first thing, I think, is mindfulness. We need to be mindful not only of where we're at in the present, but being mindful of how have we got here and what are the things that I can call on in the present moment. So whilst mindfulness is about being in the present, um, and I think a lot of what's being articulated about mindfulness right now is about focusing on the present. I think that's, that's great. Certainly we've got attention deficit disorder nowadays and we need to be able to skillfully attend to the present. But um, the fact that we can think about the future is great. It's led to amazing evolution for human beings. Um, but if we're spending all of our time speculating on the future, um, thinking about what might be and not coming back to the present and engaging action to achieve those ideals or to avoid certain scenarios we don't want to, to hit, uh, if we're not practicing that skill of coming back to the present and engaging effective action, we're underutilizing our potential. Yeah. But the same is true when it comes to reflection. So some people say, oh, just be in the present. Don't worry about what was. And first of all, we're never going to completely get rid of that. And it's serving a useful purpose. If we can reflect on past experiences and learn from them, and then bring those learnings into the present, that sets us up to actually learn from challenges that we've experienced. Mm. It's also true, though, that we reflect on past experiences. You know what? I've been in a scenario similar to this. And when I did this, it worked really well. Or when I did that, it didn't work well, but then I got through it by doing X. I'm going to take that wisdom and bring it into the present and apply it. So that's where I like to start. Yeah. Um, and when people realize that they've got wisdom within them, um, I say we now need to be mindful that these can become part of a conscious routine. We can invest in these strategies or practices or even relationships. Like if you know that there are people that support you, make sure that you're investing yourself uh, authentically and compassionately um, with those relationships so you can all be there for each other. Yeah. Um, so mindfulness is one, but certainly mindfulness practice, not only reflecting on um, past and considering future and then returning to the present to engage in effective action that aligns to your values. That's my idea of mindfulness. But the other thing that's incredibly important is our mindset. And mindfulness often comes with attitudes and intentions like um, being open and curious instead of judgmental and, and critical. And, and that's great. Um, but when I talk about mindset, what I like to talk about in this area of resilience is that um, we often see stresses, setbacks, and struggles as these things that are bad that we need to fix. And sometimes that's the case, but that might serve to set up the relationship that these things are bad, um, but they don't always have to be. The fact that we can overcome stresses, setbacks, and struggles, and actually learn and grow beyond where we were before those experiences can be an amazing source of growth. Mm. And as a result, we say, okay, stress can be challenging. Um, when we work through stress, we can come out on the other side better for it. Stress is omnipresent. Okay, I need to accept that stress is going to happen, that sometimes it's challenging and I want to fix it, and maybe I should. Sometimes, though, it's actually going to be useful. So I might start calling it a challenge instead of stress starting to widen my vocabulary around this area so I'm not just brandishing everything with the same brush yeah. and feeling more stressed out about my stress. <laughs> yeah. So uh, these things are absolutely um, interconnected, but mindset and mindfulness uh, are both really important. The mindset, the attitude, the approach that you take to stress or whatever other words you want to have around it, how do we practice that? So it's less around all stress is bad, but how can I embrace certain challenges that are worthy of my investment right now? Um, how can I know when certain challenges or stressors have actually gotten to a point where my well-being resilience or my performance resilience is being depleted and compromised? Um, so that's where mindset, being open and curious to what is this actual stressor, starts to inform what mindfulness, what things do I need to bring to this particular situation? Does yeah. that sort of expand yeah, a view of how we can use these things a bit? Yeah. yeah, it does. And can I give some really 
kick-ass statistics on this stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So Kelly McGonigal wrote in her book, The Upside of Stress, about some really interesting research done over in the States. 30,000 Americans um, were asked questions including, uh, how much stress do you experience? And they were also asked a question, or a series of questions actually, that had to do with their stress mindset. Uh, some questions were essentially uh, looking at, do you think stress is bad and harmful to your health? And then the other questions were looking at, do you think stress is helpful and should be embraced? And um, the calculations essentially put them into a camp that was more A and, and more B. You know, stress is harmful or stress is good. Um, at eight year follow-up, and I don't want to get my statistics wrong, um, but the number is either 40, it's 43. There's a 43% greater likelihood of mortality, of death, for one group, A or B. And it was actually the group that found that stress was harmful and should be avoided and managed that had a higher likelihood of death. Wow. So this was for people with high levels of stress, that mindset that it's bad for you had a, a real and clear impact on their lifespan. Interestingly, people who thought that stress was there to be embraced had for the same level of high stress, had the lowest mortality rate. And it's interesting as well, when we start to marry that up with some research on what's called distress tolerance, um, whilst I'm not sending a message that I want people to have more stress, it's <laughs> absolutely not the message I'm trying to send, but there's a variable in the scientific community called distress tolerance that's actually a marker for success. So when people are able to actually be more tolerant to stress and distress, uh, they can actually be more successful in their life. So um, the word that I like to use around this area is stress mastery. So rather than stress management, which essentially says this thing needs to be managed, I like to talk about stress mastery. How can we actually approach and engage with stress in a way that is about learning and growing and working through and certainly resolving the things that are problematic and toxic and just bad for us, but expanding our approach to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean... There's some things that I do that I think help me uh, master stress, if you like, and there's some just really basic things like getting enough sleep, yep. eating well. Yep. Um, Ariana Huffington on the sleep piece. Yeah. Great, great work and, and research that she's brought into the mainstream to, to have a look at. Sleep is incredibly important. Um, meditation, for instance, is as restorative, sometimes more so than sleep. Um, so, so important. Eating well, you were saying, um, exercise, you know, yeah, these are other evidence-based resilience yeah. strategies. Yeah. And it seems that, you know, you're talking about the mindfulness and mindset. To build that, is, it, is there a reflective piece there that needs to be incorporated into, to develop that? Or how, you know, how do we develop that mindset? Yeah. That mindfulness? It's a really good question. So, um, reflection another word that I like to use, contemplation. So when I'm talking about um, mindfulness, I talk about contemplation, concentration, and cultivation. So we can contemplate with this open and inquiring mind, being curious to what we understand, you know, and that uh, links into mindset, like how can I actually tune in rather than presume? How can I actually connect with what's here um, openly? Then there's concentration, which is okay, with an awareness now, contemplative awareness of what might be, what are the things that I can choose to focus on? And then cultivation, which is a sense of what are the qualities that I can deliberately cultivate within me that I can bring to this present moment so that it can be, um, that I can apply myself as effectively as possible. Um, so there are lots and lots of different, I guess, principles and practices that can support us in um, building this sort of fitness um, and cultivation practices can include things like compassion, gratitude, uh, concentration practices can include focusing our attention and bringing it back when it wanders off and noticing where it wanders to, to look for patterns of the mind. And that sort of opportunity is where contemplation starts to link with concentration. It's like, oh, I noticed where my mind went. Was that useful or not? didn't seem useful, that was a distraction. Okay, it's in the nature of the mind to do that. I'm gonna concentrate on what I was concentrating on again. So those three things together that I think really help to set us up for consciousness, you know, to, to be living um, with, uh, with our awareness, 
not just bringing awareness when we remember to, but actually living through our awareness. <laughs> yeah, turning the tables on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to tell us a little bit about, um, maybe a bit about your journey? So I understand that you're a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, you've just finished writing a book, so you're an author <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? Well, tell us what a you know what are you doing? Say in the past year, what have you been doing on a daily basis, and where what are you planning to do on the, in the next year? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> with an eighteen-month-old, I can tell you lots of things that I've been doing <laughs> in the last year. But it's so awesome. So yeah, dad, um, run run my own business. Uh, so psychology, performance, well-being, innovation. Um, is that particularly around the workforce you're talking about there? Or look, it is, but um, it's like that's my avenue. Um, I come from a consulting background working on um, innovation projects, uh, bringing psychology into that sphere of how do we actually identify and uh, address problems that we need to solve or challenges and opportunities that we can capitalise on by using psychology strategies to work effectively on our own and with others to overcome assumptions and you know, mindfulness becomes a part of that uh, to, to create ideas and solutions. And within organisational contexts, um, I just saw and loved how these principles of being at your best to think through challenges that were important and to come up with solutions was really equipping people with important skills that they can apply to their life. And some workshop participants would say that. They said, Adrian, you've given me some techniques that I can now use to go and think through challenges that I experience with my family and and with dealing with my daughter who's a teenager, for instance. And so um, after exiting innovation consulting, starting up my own practice, it was very important for me to really expand the view of how we can be at our best to not just be about innovation objectives, but um, within the sphere of professional life where we spend most of our waking hours as one context, but for that to be a context where people play around with techniques and activities and exercises and processes, and then go, right, where else does this relate and apply so that I can be at my best in all domains of my life. Um, so that's where I spend a lot of my time working with that business. Um, love being a family man and the flexibility that can come with um, with running your own business. Yeah. Um, but lately in writing my book, it's been, um, yeah, a, a lot of uh, long days and uh, working weekends and things like that. <laughs> yeah. But, it, you know, looking at performance and well-being, resilience, like these things are in balance, they're dynamic. I make a um, a compromise that I'm mindful of in the short term in order to, in four months, with some collaborating authors, get this important piece of work, this book, um, ready to, to get out to the community. So that's been a more recent and significant focus. Um, but alongside that, looking for innovative ways to address um, mental health challenges and, and, and well-being, promoting well-being with Amelie, the artificial intelligent uh, messenger um, contact that people can engage with on Facebook and Slack and Kick and these different um, communication platforms, but also integrating with websites. At the moment, we're with Origin Youth Mental Health, and we actually have an artificially intelligent uh, contact that people with challenges can talk to in order for the, the robot to reveal the most likely resources that would support their specific needs. Mm. Um, and so not only is, is that in startup mode, but we went along to the Health Informatics Conference and won a hackathon where we had a real life integration on Origin Youth Mental Health website yeah. um, to start supporting people because so many people's needs aren't necessarily being met and apps are great, but let's remove even more barriers. Everyone is engaged on communicating through messenger platforms. If you could add a contact that is always there for you around the clock to start chatting with about mental health concerns, but also well-being strategies that can start to build resilience buffers. How can I say, I'm feeling a little stressed today, and you get access to service providers if the level of distress is significant, or you could practice a mindfulness activity to um, bring stress levels down, restore some calm. But what happens if you also go to the contact and you say, I'm feeling pretty good today, and you also have the opportunity to practice mindfulness? For example, I know we've been talking about it a lot today, but this is actually resourcing us and filling us up so that it makes the 
depleting sort of catastrophe eff effect of too much stress, mm -hmm. less likely because we've actually got the resources to cope. Yeah. Um, so Amelie is, is a, a absolute passion project at the moment and we're uh, looking at ways that we can really expand uh, what's possible there. Yeah. And what else? And then I've got other, I've always got other little ideas ticking away in the background. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then just family time is so exciting. Having an 18 month old, like the most spirited little girl, my daughter Ayla, she's just so much fun. So yeah. <laughs> as much time there as possible. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a bit about your book as well? What's it called and what's... What's it about? Yeah, um, so I can say the title of the book and I like to actually say it with a physical action um, because it's sort of the intention. It's like, meditate on this. <laughs> so that's the title. The yeah, <laughs> okay. the action was a sort of a, a, a powerful gesture of, hey, tune in, suckers. Yeah. <laughs> Said with the utmost... Um, passion and compassion for the messages that are in the book rather than being forceful. It's more um, a really, it's a call to, uh, to people's attention that the, the science of mindfulness, which is the, the tagline, yeah. um, that the science of mindfulness is incredibly powerful and, and that it's worthwhile us having a look at it. Um, it's a book about why meditation is beneficial to us that hits it you know, comprehensively, but quite easy to digest. Four key areas, happiness, health, performance, relationships. And if we can read either all sections of that book or the one that feels like it resonates for our intent or for our well-being or for our whatever yeah. most, then cool, just read that section. What you'll get is up-to-the-minute um, research written in ways that everyone can understand and appreciate uh, so that we have a really clear why we would meditate. Rather than forcing people to have a specific way of meditating, it's just to say, connect with why, yeah. you know? And then find a practice that works. To bring back what we were talking about earlier, play around with it. Go try different things. Um, don't have to expect that the first thing that you practice is going to be awesome. And it's certainly true that meditation practice can take a little while before it starts to feel right, normal, good, whatever words we choose to use to <laughs> add to it that indicate to us that this is worthwhile. <laughs> um, it, and that can get in our way. Uh, so if we can connect with a real clear why and then trust the process and engage curiously in different types of practices, including mindfulness meditation or Qigong or yoga, which I love, you know, but I'm open to all of these different contemplative and, and concentration-focused practices that can help us to, to be well, to look after ourselves, and to connect better with others. Yeah. I think that's... Yeah, it sounds like, like such an important book to read. Um, and, you know, we talked a lot about stress and how, I guess, your mindset about stress can, can change how you interact with stress. But I think something you mentioned too is that we do just we do just live in a stressful world, and it's not changing unless we I guess maybe move to the country or you know live off the land or or do create a real radical change in our life. To to live and live well, we need to find ways to live in this society yeah. with those kind of tools. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting when we look at that precept of uh, Buddhism that has been misinterpreted a lot. Uh, many people have interpreted it as life is suffering. The interpretation that I've been educated around is life has suffering. And for me, that tweak is significant because it opens up our eyes and our hearts uh, to accepting, yes, that is a statement that has truth. But we can, in spite of that truth, exist well. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, one of my favorite uh, yoga teachers once said, we might be outside and it might be freezing cold outside and we might be ill-prepared for that chill and then it starts raining and so we're cold and we're wet, but we don't have to be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. The line that I remind myself is, which I think is a pretty common line, 
this kind of world too is that you know um, misery comes from uh, having an aversion to what is or craving what isn't yeah yeah yeah, yeah. appetite and aversion yeah. I have the appetite for this to be different than it is. I want to be aversive. I want to avoid this because I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Again, these are the, the classic um, sort of forces uh, that, that, that do influence us. And they can do it pre-consciously um, if we don't choose to practice awareness and attention yeah. and, and notice these defaults, these biases, these, these habits. Um, and as Viktor Frankl says, between stimulus and response, there's a space. And that space is our opportunity to choose our response. In that response lies our hope and our freedom. And, and I think that's beautiful. You know? um, it is, yeah. And I found in meditation it actually somehow it increases the length of that time that I have to respond yeah. <laughs> as well. Yeah. Or it makes me process, it helps me to process more quickly in that time. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that. So here's something that's in the um, Meditate on this book as well as being related to my doctoral research, which is high performance psychological states, including engagement, mindfulness, flow. When we're in a flow state, we're actually able to be fully absorbed in an, ex in an experience such that time almost feels like it stands still and it's that feeling that actually gives us the illusion of more space between stimulus and response and we can be really wise and intelligent and skillful about our actions moment by moment and um, you know some people have sort of said oh mindfulness it's about being focused in the present moment and flow you're sort of not really thinking there's an absence of thought these two things are incompatible and I disagree it's that um, in mindfulness if there's an over-reliance on knowing where your thinking is uh, then we might miss that flow is actually a full presence and awareness of all ways of operating not just through the thinking lens in those moments but perhaps the action is coming from a way of being uh, fully connected to the task. So my first career, if you call it that, was as a track and field athlete. And I had experiences of flow as a 400 hurdler. Not only was this an event that you needed to think through incredibly well so that you could run 400 as a sprint and not hit the sticks that were in the way, but you needed to be fully in the moment and not thinking about or worrying about that next hurdle or where your competition was and to just allow your body to be the channel through which you could perform this activity that you had honed and practiced so much. So those are my first experiences that sort of opened up my mind and heart and body to how beautiful these states can be and um, accessing them through track and field before I even knew about mindfulness and yoga was quite beautiful and then I just wanted to figure out well, what was that? <laughs> how can I find that again, not only for myself, but how can I share that with other people? How can we achieve more flow in, in life? And learning it through science and then going, cool, okay, I learned it through my body first. What are the other things I can do? So rock climbing, uh, yoga, the yin and the yang of it all, and, <laughs> and mindfulness, stillness practices that give you access to these qualities as well. So that's, an, again, another sort of backstory of where this has all come from. Yeah. <laughs> it's, such cool stuff. I, there is a question that I had in the back of my mind. We should wrap up in a second. Yeah, yeah. I'll ask you this one, then I've got a couple of others. But it's just about the states that you're talking about and um, perhaps it's some of the workshop work that you used to do about, maybe it was back to the innovation stuff, well, I'm not sure, but just the, and, and, and some of the stuff we touched on earlier about bringing our whole selves to our work. I was talking last week to... Matt Wicking, another guy, about, you know, he was talking about his job and how he just, he's, uh, he loves how he can bring all his quirkiness and all his humour and all his silliness to his work. And um, he's just, I think that enables him to be in his, his flow state. But uh, this stuff, just, it's a pretty vague question, but I'll, I'll sort of try and frame it up. But it's just about those things you've been talking about and our workplaces and how can we bring all of ourselves and all of it, the thinking with all of our body and that flow to more and more of our workplaces, you know, and, and in some places where it might not be that well received yet, but how can we start to shift things in that direction? Because I, I get excited by that, about that kind of workplace where we 
we are more well because of being in that workplace yeah. as opposed to being less well because of being in that workplace. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's such an important challenge to focus on. Um, you know, we've got, gone to the days where the workplace, the physical location had all of the technology and um, ways of engaging with the other people required to do our work. You know, that, that used to be what it was like. You go to work because that's where the machine is or the computer is and that's where the other people are that need to do this work. Yeah. And I have no other way to communicate with them other than being in this place. That's changed. Yeah. And um, it's also changed the nature of our work doesn't necessarily need to rely on a piece of machinery that's in one location. Yeah. Um, and what's changed is that the nature of our work to do with our what's up in our heads, concepts, thoughts, rather than it all being about physical things. Um, so we're not adjusted to that as well as I think we need to be yet. And I think um, there are th concepts like activity-based working that start to look at um, how do we organize work environments so that certain activities that need to get completed have the appropriate environment for people to go to for that. And that's a start. Um, what needs to be brought to that is a real mindfulness of how you're working on different things that you do. So that when there's a change in environment, you don't just replay the same habits in a new, in a new place. Yeah. Um, so without wanting to sound like mindfulness is, is for everything, in some ways it kind of is, because <laughs> um, we need to bring that kind of skill and, and intelligence to changes that we can create for ourselves to capitalize on them. Um, but there's a lot further that we can go. One of my mates uh, is in digital technology and um, the power of digital technology to really change the way we work and where we work from is significant. And he's just um, practiced what he preached by moving out to the Mornington Peninsula and he has a home office there and he can do most of his work remotely. And many of us can, um, but what we end up hitting is um, for things like a lack of trust. If that person's knees aren't underneath their desk, I can't trust that they're doing the work. Uh, we aren't yet as disciplined around communication practices that we can access and utilize, including virtual technologies, uh, video conferencing. Um, we can be better at that. We can work on that and we can capitalize on that um, if we put in the effort. Um, so I think there's lots of opportunity. I think technology um, can do really great things for us, um, but everything is about balance. Uh, we will need to have the social connection. We will want to go to a workplace. It'll be valuable for us to engage, ask, are you okay, to your work colleagues, you know? So yeah. there is absolutely a place for that. Um, working from home, if we're feeling isolated, perhaps we're doing that too much. So again, this awareness of what feels most right for us um, and, and having, having some autonomy to, figure that out for ourselves, trust from, from our leaders that support that, yeah. and the awareness that we can bring to it ourselves. Um, I, th I think they're really, really important. But what I think is interesting as well is the research coming out about how we are overworked and that it's um, compromising both our performance and productivity and our health. So um, I, I like this research. I haven't looked at its methods, but it says that Apparently, we can be at our best in terms of health and productivity by working a three-day work week, um, which is quite a significant change from where many of us are. Yeah. Um, research out of um, mm. Europe looks at recovery in the resilience field. And uh, we know that evenings where we're not working, weekends where we're not working, and holidays when we're not working, if we choose to turn off our devices and actually um, separate ourselves from work and just be and connect with other things in those vacation times or down times. I think that's really important, but people aren't utilizing those opportunities as best they can. And as a result, we've got this sort of chronic load um, and, mm. and we need to work on that. No, no one's going to do that for us. Mm. Um, 
So yeah, anyway, th there's all of that stuff That's that great. we need to explore. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's something I love talking about. <laughs> um, cool. All right, a couple of questions as we wrap up. Then the first one's about a, a subtle disruption or something you'd like to disrupt one day in the future. Like, what do you what do you daydream about? You know, in five, ten years' time, being a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it's not too far away, but um, being able to provide really intelligent access to wellness supporting and performance supporting resources, experience, um, agents, caregivers, a whole eclectic mix of people and things that can support people in being at their best um, through the, the simplicity of technology mediated experiences so um, having a person in the mix at some point but um, I, I would like to disrupt the the service model being around um, a reliance on human contact I know that's what we trust right now and that there's risk associated with having digital look after it all but what I'm more worried about are the trends around mental health and the fact that um, being able to provide service access to resources um, the capacity issues and the demand put on these service providers and lots of them are volunteers and people are getting missed like is is what's at stake there is is what is the risk there more important for us to look at solutions that could include technology and that we explore and experiment there i'd like to be part of that you know yeah um, i'd like to see some real really good change happening there so fingers crossed. <laughs> Sounds like you're already starting to dabble in that area yeah. as well. Yeah. We will see. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the final question's about yourself and about, I guess, it, the podcast is called Subtle Disruptors. It's about the subtle disruptions that people are making, but also that we've made in, in our own life as well. So, you know, what's a small change you've made in your own life that's, um, that's been important for you, that's had a big impact? Mm. On, um, on your life and perhaps what you're doing now yeah what a huge question um, it's a nice question there are a number of things that I have really come up against um, that I'm grateful for now that have helped shape who I am, but I'm not so fixated on identity, but it's more how I can be <laughs> that's, yeah. that's important to me. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I pushed myself incredibly hard when I was younger in track and field um, to the point where getting the balance right didn't always happen. You know, I did suffer um, some significant injuries in my sporting career. And um, the push for high performance and not recognising and looking after myself um, in some domains and, and in some areas of, of my sporting career um, th that compromised things for me for a while but also and this is perhaps why I have less of a um, connection with this whole identity thing but being the track and field athlete and then having a career-ending injury and not being the track and field athlete was a significant uh, transition for me mm. who the hell am I if I'm not that guy that's really fast you know <laughs> um, yeah. And interestingly, I threw myself into another identity, which was student. And I studied for eight and a half years, <laughs> um, you know, to the point where I pushed myself from a performance perspective in uh, completing my doctorate. And the irony is that I was looking at sustainable high performance states, and I was learning a hell of a lot about that domain, and also a victim of my own uh, pressure that I was putting on myself. So. Yet again, I learned we need to keep these things in, in balance and we need to be really aware of, of um, how we can look after our performance and our well-being. And so it's at those points where I noticed, aha, right, sometimes a fixation on an identity and a way of being that looks like it's serving us well, like I am the high performer, I am completing my doctorate, um, I am, this is uh, success, whatever, all of these ideas, um, we're creating a life with suffering. And um, when I could accept that this was part of how life was at the moment and then say there are other ways that I can balance this, uh, other things that I can do for myself and, and start to explore um, 
a more expanded way of being aware of how I can live my life in a, in a way that's more sustainable for me and, and so that I can be better contributing in life and to the lives of others. Um, that, was, that was a real trajectory um, that, that I opened myself up to. And um, what I'm really grateful for is that um, I was in the working world, working as a busy consultant. So once again, after finishing my doctorate, getting into a consulting job and working really hard and um, knowing that it was not okay to not look after myself. And as a result, focusing on um, saying yes to myself for my meditation practice, um, making a commitment not only to working hard, but to giving myself the things that made that possible. Um, yoga practice, doing my yoga teacher training, knowing that that was a gift that I wanted to be able to share with other people as well in my profession in the long term. Um, and, and not letting go of that, even though the busy world of consulting could have swallowed me up. Um, and when I had the opportunity to start my own business, uh, rather than going with the safe option of, nah, I'd better go back in and find a job and it's too scary, um, with the support of my wife and some close friends, um, having the courage to, to trust that this is important for me to be like this and that it's important for me to share and you know, hopefully educate and inspire other people. But now with my daughter, hopefully be a role model for really trusting and tuning into what it is that you value and then um, working from that place because that's not just thinking it through and intellectualizing it, but it's trusting my heart and trusting my gut. You know? Yeah. So that's yeah, probably a long answer to what you thought might have been a short question. <laughs> no, it's never got a short answer. <laughs> okay, that one's good. <laughs> Adrian, well, yeah, thanks for sharing um, so much about yourself and what you're doing. I think, yeah, I've got a lot out of it. It's just been really nice to sit with you here in this place that does have a great energy and thanks for the energy that you brought cheers, as mate. well. Yeah, yeah cheers. Thank you. Hey. Thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, including any suggestions you have for guests. You can get me on email through adam at subtledisruptors.com. And if you enjoyed listening and would like to be part of getting the word out about the Subtle Disruptors of Melbourne, a great way to do this is through jumping into iTunes and rating and reviewing this podcast. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own Subtle Disruption. Bye for now.